The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. Amen. Well, today is Mother's Day, and happy Mother's Day. Uh, Ed did a fine job, didn't he, of celebrating our mothers today, and uh, we're very, very thankful for that. Now, what's really curious is that in our... um, study in Ephesians, and we're hoping to get done Ephesians by the end of the month, uh, we are coming upon the final section of the letter. You might remember that the first three chapters uh, reminded us of who we are seated in Christ, these great doctrinal truths that we're already seated with Christ, stated in the past tense, once we trust Christ, and then we're walking in Christ, which is chapter 4 through the beginning of chapter 6. And today we get to chapter 6 and verse 10, and it's standing for Christ, and Paul introduces this section with the word finally. So he is summing up, he is coming to a conclusion in the letter, and it's about spiritual warfare. I kind of chuckled when I thought about that. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare on Mother's Day. But I think most mothers understand what spiritual warfare is about. And, um, you know, one of the things that Ed reminded me of as we were singing today is that too many Christians, um, you know, we, we think about the idea that I can do nothing. You know, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. But that doesn't let us off the hook. <laughs> because Paul also said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so we shouldn't sit around and, you know, just kind of wallow in our inabilities. We should start to celebrate the ability that Christ has given us through salvation, through the working of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. This is especially significant when we think about the idea of spiritual warfare. The title is Hold Your Ground. And I want to read (coughs) the text from Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and with requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Dear Lord, we bow before you, understanding that we are looking at a passage that is very serious, a truth that 
we all must be reminded of from now and again. And this battle continues constantly. And we praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you have defeated every enemy completely. And Lord, that in you, we are overcomers. So Father, fill us with hope and strength and optimism today as we look at this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. You might remember that Ephesus was filled with many occult practices. It wasn't just the pagan temples that were there. There was an overt occult presence in that ancient city of Ephesus, and we should remember that, and that's probably why Paul came to this conclusion. Now, here's our outline for today. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, <clears throat> Paul warns us about four tactical errors we might make in our battle against the devil. Four tactical errors. Don't misconstrue the tenacity of the enemy. Don't miscalculate the brutality of the battle. Don't misjudge the necessity of our objective. Don't misappropriate the totality of our resources. Now, when you just look at those, those tactical errors, how many of us are convicted that I, I sometimes venture into things like that? I, I, I sometimes do some of this. So it's quite an outline, and, and uh, we're going to do this, and then next week we'll talk more about the specifics of the pieces of the armor. The leader and the troops put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Against the devil. The leader is Satan himself. He is the enemy. And Satan means adversary. It means enemy. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus said, Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. It could be understood from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. And this is precisely what Jesus prayed in John 17. I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you'll protect them from the evil one. And our God is able to protect us. We need to remember this, that, that the enemy is defeated. Now, it's very interesting, in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, there are passages of Scripture that most believe do, in fact, refer to Satan. And um, in Ezekiel 28, we read about the king of Sire, but there is uh, the, the obvious uh, mention of the enemy and what he uh, was doing. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. A guardian cherub. Do you hear that? And see, he's, Satan was an angel, the great archangel, most likely. 
For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till, verse 15, till wickedness was found in you. And that's the mystery. That the enemy turned. That wickedness was found in him. And so subsequently, through your wicked widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before the kings. So you see... The denunciation of the enemy is clearly portrayed in Ezekiel. Also, likewise, in Isaiah. Now listen to this. This is Isaiah 14. And again, this is a picture of Satan and his rebellion. And it begins at verse 12. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. The King James says Lucifer. means light bearer. That's what Lucifer means, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Now listen to this. Here's the rebellion described of Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. See that pride? See that arrogance? This is the enemy. But judgment came. You are brought down to the realms of the dead by the depths of the pit. Judgment will come. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says the enemy will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. There is no escape. His doom is certain. The rebellion will not succeed against our Lord God Almighty. He is a spiritual created being. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. But he is powerful. We need to respect that. That's why we're not to misconstrue the tenacity of the enemy. And what about his troops? Well, his troops are described in, for instance, Revelation 12. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Now, most believe what that is is a description that a third of the angels that have been created also rebelled and became demonic spirits. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Satan was against Jesus from the very beginning. He did everything he could to prevent his birth and then after he was born to kill him prematurely. This was what he was doing. Now we go back to Ephesians and we read, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All of that describes the leadership of demonic forces. 
And we see this in Colossians. We see it in some other places. In fact, it, earlier in Ephesians, in, um, in, in the first chapter, when we were reading this some time ago, it says about Jesus in the resurrection. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above, now listen, all rulers and authority, power, and dominion. You see, all the demonic forces are under the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our glorified, resurrected Lord stands above all of them. And he disarmed them, Paul writes in the letter to Colossians. He disarmed them. Their bullets have no power over him. And what a blessing that he keeps us and protects us. So we live in this age, and things haven't been consummated yet. We know the reign of Christ will be visible on this earth, but right now we're still in this battle zone. The Christian life isn't lived on a playground, it's lived on a battleground. And we need to accept that and understand that to be true. So I love the way John Stott described the demons. Demons have no honor, no higher feelings, utterly unscrupulous, ruthless, pursue malicious designs. That's their, that's their desire. And it never ends. And uh, we are aware of it. We shouldn't underestimate the power of demonic forces and their influence. The occult isn't something to make jokes about. This is real. And we should not make the error of misconstruing the tenacity of the enemy. Secondly, don't miscalculate the brutality of the battle. These verses describe where the battle takes place, when it takes place, and how it takes place. It says clearly that it's taking place on the earth, in the heavenly realms, everywhere. This battle is ongoing. In Daniel 10, it's so interesting, Daniel's praying and Michael shows up and says, listen, from the moment you prayed this, we're trying to answer this prayer, but we're facing spiritual forces of evil, even the angels. A very interesting statement that, that, that this battle is ongoing in the unseen realm, and it's going on, and we see the effects of it on the earth. And so he says in verse 13, we're to, we're to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. I want to ask you, how many days are evil? <laughs> There's evil present every day. Every day. And so we must be vigilant in this and understand. It seems that sometimes the enemy comes hard and sometimes he withdraws for a season. That's what happened in the case of Jesus. In Luke it says the enemy withdrew after the temptation, Luke chapter 4, for a season, for another opportunity. And it's a struggle it's a wrestling match. But it's also not just hand-to-hand -hand combat, there's weapons involved, right? And that's what we see in this passage. 
We have many enemies. 1 Corinthians 16.9, Paul said he had many enemies. What are some of our enemies? Well, Satan, we've said, as an enemy. My sinful nature is my enemy. <laughs> the world that's in rebellion against God is also an enemy. And this is a serious, serious battle. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great Presbyterian from 10th Pres in Philadelphia, used to say it this way, we wrestle, but Satan can't pin us. What a blessing. What a blessing. It's interesting. You're familiar with a bathysphere? Sphere. It's this small little submarine that goes to the very depths of the ocean. Very amazing. And they have to build the pressure up so high inside or else it would implode. And what they found is... Jay Kessler brought this out. So amazing that they found that when you get down there and you, you turn the light on and you look around, there's a lot of fish down there. <laughs> and they're not thick-skinned fish, but they have been able to adjust to all the pressure from the outside by pressure on the inside. And, then, and so he concludes, Christians likewise don't have to be hard and thick-skinned as long as they appropriate God's power within to equal the pressure without. May God help us to understand that. that. While there is brutality in the battle, we have the strength in Christ to overcome. The devil has many schemes. He has many ways of deceiving us. And I want to give a very quick little overview of a few titles and just a few thoughts. The devil is pictured as a serpent. Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Devil means deceiver, liar. He is the father of all lies. He doesn't care what lie you believe, as long as you believe the lie. And when you believe the lie, he goes to work. In fact, it says in chapter 2 of Ephesians that he freely is working in those who are disobedient. This is a this is quite a statement. People are believing lies. How many of you are fishermen? You shouldn't admit this because it's such a deceptive act. You put that little bait on a hook, and then the poor little fish comes along, and he beats it. He thinks, oh, I'm going to have a nice lunch. He ends up getting hooked. And that's why Satan deceives us. He gives us half-truths. He gives us things and thoughts that are contrary to God, and we don't realize. And, and he was pictured as a serpent in Eden. I noticed in reading Scripture, serpents will forever, even in the millennium, be crawling on the ground. It's part of the judgment that came, right? Abraham is a man of faith. But he lied about his wife twice. What? What kind of faith is that? It's just shocking that the man of faith would lie about his wife twice. Another title for Satan is a masquerader. For such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Many of the temptations look good when the temptation is offered. He's masquerading. 
It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. They masquerade. He masquerades. He, he wears masks. A.W. Tozer used to remind us, he has better theology than we do. He just doesn't believe it. The demons know that God is one, and they shudder. That's what Scripture says. So he is like a wolf dressed in sheep clothing when he attacks. Think of David. How is David, what, how is he described in Scripture? The man after God's own heart. And yet how did God, how did the devil tempt him and trip him up? Through, idol, through adultery? Perhaps even rape in that situation with Bathsheba? And then murder? It's shocking. Where he looks so strong. All of a sudden, the enemy came in and deceived him. How about this? He is also called Apollyon, the great destroyer. They had his king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name is Hebrew Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, that is destroyer. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When lions are roaring, they're hungry. Roaring lions that tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. That's from Psalm 22. Jesus describing some of his feelings at the cross. The, the, he's a destroyer. The thief came to steal and to kill and destroy. Think of Job and all that the devil took from him. Destroyed around him. The roaring lion. You know, think of another case. Moses, he's known to be meek. Power under control, and yet he lost his temper and struck the rock and didn't get to go into the promised land. It, it's just amazing how sometimes the places where we think we're strong is the very place where the enemy wants to attack. Finally, he is an accuser. I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down, thrown down, defeated. It's a very strong term. Cast down. The devil attacks us. He inflicts upon us the memory of past sins which Jesus has forgiven and he creates in us a sense of false guilt that depresses us and defeats us. And it should not be this way, brothers. Peter was a man of courage, and yet he denied the Lord three times. But then he was forgiven and restored, and on Pentecost we see him preaching. So these are just a, a, an overview of, of the brutality of the battle. But we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Don't misjudge the necessity of our objective. Very interesting. It keeps being said again and again, take your stand. Take your stand. It's a verb that's used about 150 times in the New Testament. In this passage, it's used a couple of times early as an infinitive, but then it becomes a command in verse 14. Stand firm then. And it's a command for everybody. Everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ needs to learn to stand firm. Why do we stand firm? Because we're standing on victory soil. 
We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Think about the children of Israel when they went into the promised land. Remember it? They went in to take their inheritance. Now they had to fight. There were many battles, but they won the battles because God was giving them their inheritance. It was their land. And so it is with us. We don't have to fear the battle. Now Jesus promised us clearly that he would give us grace and we would stand by faith. We would stand in the Lord will make us stand. In Colossians, Epaphras is praying that they will stand in the will of God, mature and fully assured. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not overcome the church. The cause of the gospel will go forward. The enemy can't stop it. Hallelujah, but it's a real battle. <laughs> Let's not misjudge it. Let's not be foolish. You know, it's really interesting. After they went into the land, uh, it says in the book of uh, Judges, and this is striking, in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, the people that went into the land. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Somewhere, parents, grandparents, and others had not communicated well the victory. And the next generation suffered. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. I wonder today if we have forgotten to tell our children and instruct them in these matters that we are in spiritual warfare, that we have the means in Christ to defeat the enemy. But apart from him, we will be defeated. And so the lies that are being understood, the lies that are being believed, is, is shocking, isn't it? So finally, the last tactical error is that we misappropriate the totality of our resources. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. <laughs> your strength comes from the Lord. Do not try to take your stand against the devil by yourself. Don't try to just gather a bunch of believers together. You need the Lord to defeat the enemy, and he is defeated. We are to put on his strength and keep putting on his strength. I love the story in uh, Samuel when David's troops have been defeated, and it says in 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6 that he encouraged himself in the Lord. Have you ever been there? You just needed to encourage yourself in the Lord. You, you just needed to remind yourself of who you are in Christ and the power of the gospel at work in your life because it seemed like you're just being, being inundated by discouragement and depression. I want to tell you a bit about uh, this gal, Gladys Alward. She was all of four foot, ten inches tall. She was born just north of London, and uh, she quit school at 14, and she served as a housemaid 
In her 20s, she went to a meeting and she heard the gospel. And uh, then, subsequent to that, she heard about the plight of the Chinese. And so she applied to the China Inland Mission and asked to become a missionary. She went through some training, and she did great on the practical side, but because of her lack of education, she was really struggling on the academic side. So they dismissed her and told her she couldn't be a missionary. Well, she appeared to be an unlikely candidate for mission work, but God chose her and gave her the determination to do the work. She went back to being a housemaid, and she earned enough money, and others gave her money to go to China. And when she got there, they said she'd never learned Chinese, but she did. And eventually, uh, she had to lead little girls out of China. She wrote a book. A book was written about her, The Small Woman, 1957. And in 1958, a movie starring Ingrid Bergman was made about her. Do you remember the movie? Some of us do. The end of the sixth happiness. And it's about the journey that they made out of the country over the mountains because they were afraid of the enemy. And, and it's kind of interesting. One day as they were making this journey, this harrowing journey, she grappled with despair as never before. After passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. A 13-year-old girl in the group reminded her of their much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. But I'm not Moses, she cried in desperation. Of course you aren't, the girl said, but Jehovah is still God. Amen. Amen. She and the orphans made it through. They proved once again that no matter how inadequate we feel, God is still God and we can trust in him. Amen? Amen. Ordinary people, that's what we said last week, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The divine armor, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. God has armor. He has put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in the zeal as a cloak. We're going to talk about the armor next week, but just be reminded that it's all the armor. You don't get to pick and choose. You put it all on. And I would suggest that we do what the old hymn said, put on the gospel armor Put on each piece with prayer. Just begin every day by putting on the armor of God. It's a way to remind us that we're in a battle zone, but we have the resources we need. And hallelujah, we can win. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The sequence is very important. You submit yourself first to God. Then you resist and then he flees. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. That's a famous theologian by the name of John Wayne, right? Well, let me tell you about a very famous theologian as we conclude today. His name was Isaac Watts. <laughs> Isaac Watts' father was a nonconformist. What that meant was he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And even as a child, Watts was carried to the prison to visit his dad, 
He later became a great hymn writer. He wrote 750 hymns. He was a great preacher. He got in trouble because they wanted to just sing psalms as they were written in the psalm book, and he wanted to write new words. And he got in trouble for that, even in his day. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. He was going to preach on this text. And for the sermon, he wrote a song. And we won't sing it, but let me just read the words of a song you probably know pretty well. It asks penetrating questions that we must answer today. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Dear Father, we bow before you in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, feet to follow you. Standing on victory soil, we thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Give us strength as we battle against the lies and deceptions that are so prevalent and help us to stand firm in all the will of God by faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.